Welcome, and thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning as we continue our study of the Psalms with Psalm 48. Now, if we were to summarize the theme of the Psalms with just a few words, it might be, the Lord reigns. You see, throughout the Psalms, we see that it is the Lord who is sovereign, it is the Lord who is in control of all the earth. Even as Psalm 97, verse 1 says, The Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice. If the theme of the Psalms is the Lord reigns, Psalm 48 is about the place of his reigning, about the throne of God in Zion. You see, Psalm 48 shows us how a seemingly small and unimposing city like Jerusalem becomes the very joy of all the earth because it is the place of the Lord's power. And what we will see in our psalm for this morning is that we who trust in Christ, though small and unimpressive on our own, are nevertheless eternally secure because we dwell in the very presence of the reigning God. So hear now the word of the Lord, Psalm 48. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king, Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled. They came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astonished. They were in panic. They took flight. Trembling took hold of them there. Anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgments. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. The grass withers. And the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Let us pray. Lord God, we approach your scriptures with reverence and with gratitude that you have preserved for us your life-giving revelation. We pray now in this time that you would be present with us through your Holy Spirit that you may lift high the cross so that Christ's amazing love might be proclaimed in the preaching of your inspired and inerrant word. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. 
Now the first thing that we see in our psalm for this morning is that the very beauty of Zion itself does not lie in her own splendor, but her beauty is in the Lord alone. If you would look down at verses 1 through 3 of the psalm again, we read this, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. You see, the psalm is calling on the people of Israel to praise God because of what God has provided for them in the city of Jerusalem. Now, the physical city of Jerusalem is rather dramatic in sight. It's situated upon a mount that below. You could imagine that being an Israelite who lived in the country, you would be overwhelmed as you were confronted with the massive walls and intimidating heights of the towers of Zion. It would have been an awesome experience. One that John Milton sought to capture in his poem, Paradise Restored. Fair Jerusalem, the holy city, lifted high her towers, and higher yet the glorious temple reared, her pile far off appearing like a mount of alabaster, atop with golden spires. The physical city of Jerusalem was beautiful indeed. And yet it was not the physical structures of Zion which made her more beautiful than any other city in the world. In verse 2, the psalmist says that it, that is Zion, is the joy of all the earth. Now, anyone who is reading this text would know that Mount Zion was not nearly as tall as the other mountains in the region. Mount Hermon was much taller than Zion. It would be like us saying that Sharp Top was to reach the very heights of Mount McKinley. It's laughable to compare the two together. For the height of Zion does not physically compare with the surrounding mountains. So what is the point? Well, the point is not that Zion is physically more stunning than any other mountain in the world. The point is, is that the presence of the Lord gives Zion her beauty. And with the presence of the Lord, the beauty and height of Zion far surpasses anything that occurs in any other mountain in all of the earth. As verse 3 says, within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. And so the people of Zion are called to rejoice in the gift of the city of Zion. They are to rejoice in its beauty But that rejoicing must always be centered not on the physical beauty of Zion, but rather on the very presence of the Lord. The people are never to take the gift of the city and think that it is physical beauty that makes it glorious and the joy of the nations, but rather the very presence of the Lord is what makes Zion beautiful. The next point that the psalmist makes is that God is the power of Zion. 
If you look at verses 4 through 8 of our psalm, they say this, For behold, the kings assembled. They came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astonished. They were in panic. They took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there. Anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind, you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so have we seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. The scene that is described here is of many nations gathering together, many kings gathering together to assault the city of Jerusalem. It's much like what happened to King Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles 20. If you can remember the story, Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah in Jerusalem, that is in Zion. And the kingdoms of Moab and Ammon joined forces against Judah. And they were going to lay siege to the city of Zion to overtake it. Now, the people of Judah are toast if God does not respond. Sure, the walls of Jerusalem are thick, but they are not strong enough to withstand the onslaught of such an army as is assembled against them. And so what do they do? Well, Jehoshaphat gathers the people together and he calls upon the name of the Lord. He prays in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, O Lord, God of our fathers, Are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might, so that none is able to withstand you. For your name is in this house, and you will hear and save. You see, the people of Zion call out upon the God that will save them, for they understand that the power and the protection of Zion comes not from its walls, but from its God. And so we read that the Lord responds to His people. Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. The strength of the city of Zion has nothing to do with its walls that surround it or the citadels that are atop its height. Rather, the power of Zion is God who dwells within her. He is the God who is in charge of every army. He is the God who controls and directs the steps of all men. The power of the city of Zion does not rest in its own resources, but rather in the power and resources of the Lord God Almighty. The Lord looks at his people, the people of Zion, as his bride. And any who would gather to assail his bride will come against his glorious and terrible power to bring destruction to evil men and to save his people. We look to the past and we see the armies of Pharaoh drowned in the waters of God's fury and we rejoice. We see the tumbling of the walls of Jericho and we are called to sing praises. We see the vast armies of the Moabites and the Ammonites slaughtering one another before the walls of Jerusalem and the people of Israel, the people of God, are called to sing out to their great God. And we see Christ hanged upon the tree of Calvary, 
defeating our great enemies of sin and Satan and death. And we are called to rejoice because the strength of God's people are not in themselves, but is in their God alone. For throughout history, the Lord has taken it upon himself to defeat the enemies of his people. He is their king. And as such, He is their defender. He loves His people and He will protect them. For God is truly the power of Zion. The third point that the psalmist makes about Zion is that God is the object of Zion's faith. If you look down at verses 9 through 11 of your text, you will see these words. We have thought on your steadfast love, O God, in the midst of your temple. As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is filled with righteousness. Let Mount Zion be glad. Let the daughters of Judah rejoice because of your judgment. How do you know what is your object of faith? What you have faith in? Well, one diagnostic question is to ask yourself, what does my mind think about the most when I have time to rest? When times are difficult, what do I allow my mind to go to? When things get out of control, what do I look to for resolution and peace? To put it another way, What do you meditate upon in this world? Now, the word meditate does not mean some sort of Eastern religious experience of shutting off your mind to everything. Rather, to meditate as a Christian means to think very deeply about God's truth revealed in his word. It is to investigate this truth from every conceivable angle. You can think about meditating on God's Word like chewing on it. You chew and chew and chew until you get all the flavor and nutrition out of God's Word that you can. You run the promises of God's Word over and over in your mind until its truth begins to nourish and change your heart. And Psalm 48 says, We have thought, we have meditated on your steadfast love. Oh God. Now we meditate on all sorts of things in this world. We meditate on our schedules. We meditate on our health. We meditate on our investments. We spend hours thinking through policies, budgets about our children. Over the past week, most of us have received a stimulus check from the government. And you have most likely began to meditate on what you are going to do with this money, thinking through all the various possibilities of what it is that you will spend this money on. But the psalm calls us to meditate on the steadfast love of the Lord. The word that is translated steadfast love in this verse is the Hebrew word hesed. Now, hesed means love expressed through faithfulness to a promise. So hesed is when a husband loves and takes care of his wife even when she has cancer and can do nothing to return his service. 
He has made a promise to love her in sickness and in health. And when sickness comes, he keeps his promise. This is what steadfast love is. And we are called, as God's people, to meditate, to think about the steadfast love of the Lord. That is, we are to look upon the promises of God and we are to set our minds upon the truth and our faith upon the sure fulfillment of all of these promises. We are to continually to remind ourselves of the pledge of love that God has made to his people. We are to look to the promises made to our fathers in the faith and how the Lord fulfilled every single one of them. And we Christians are called upon to meditate on the cross of Jesus Christ as the fulfillment of all of God's covenant promises to us. As 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Church, the object of our faith must be the cross of Jesus Christ. For it is here that all the promises of God are fulfilled. It is here that the steadfast love, the hesed of God, is ultimately fulfilled. For while we were sinners, Christ died for us, the godly for the ungodly. Not because we deserved Christ to die for us, but rather because the Lord made a covenant promise to save His people to serve them when they could do nothing in return for Him, to die for His people when we were dead in our sins. When you are on your bed at night, do not allow your mind to turn to any other thought than this. Salvation through Christ alone. When you're worried about your health, turn to the cross When you're worried about your finances, turn to the cross. When you're distressed about your children, ponder the greatness of the blood shed to establish the new covenant at the cross. When the enemy puts before you all of your sin and shame to discourage you, to make you feel defeated, meditate upon and have faith in all the promises of salvation that have been secured for you in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. For the object of our faith, the object of our meditation can be nothing but the Lord alone and the salvation that He has won for us in Christ. Now the final point that the psalmist is making is that the Lord is the hope of Zion. The Lord is the beauty of Zion. The Lord is the power of Zion. The Lord is the object of Zion's faith. And finally, the Lord is the hope of Zion. Verses 12 through 14 say this. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Now history tells us that this psalm, Psalm 48, was regularly read on Mondays 
in the temple. Sometimes we forget that the Psalms were the hems of the people of Israel, and this hem has a charge at the end of it. The people have just finished praising the city of Zion and the God who makes it beautiful and powerful. And now they are charged to go out and look around the city. They are called to take time to look at the ramparts, the citadels, and the towers. Take time to walk around the city and see how great the city is, says this psalm. Why? So that they can tell the next generation. So that the truth of Zion's beauty will not be lost. So that from generation to generation, the greatness of the city of God will be remembered. But there is one very important fact that needs to be addressed. And that is that physical Zion no longer stands. The temple has not been in Jerusalem for 2,000 plus years. Yet the Zion of God still stands. And the promises of God have not been defeated, but they continue from generation to generation. W.M. Thompson comments on this truth. He says, Alas, her towers have long since fallen to the ground. Her bulwarks have been overthrown. Her palaces have crumbled to dust. And we who now walk about Zion can tell no other story than this to the generation following. There is another Zion, however, whose towers are still more glorious and shall never be overthrown. The temporal Zion is now in the dust, but the true Zion is rising and shaking herself from it and putting on her beautiful garments to welcome her king when he comes to reign over the whole earth. You see, Mount Zion is the place of God's dwelling amongst His people. It is here that the Spirit of the Lord dwells with His people. In the Old Covenant, Mount Zion was physical Jerusalem. Yet now, through the incarnation of Christ and the sending of the Spirit, the church, the gathered people of God, fulfills what Zion always was. The church is not just the spiritual or allegorical Zion, but it is the true fulfillment of Zion. And therefore, all the promises of Psalm 48 are for God's church. For God is the beauty of the church. God is the power of the church. God is the object of the church's faith. And God is the hope of His church. Therefore, this psalm is not primarily about the physical glory of a city, but rather it is about the glory of our God Almighty present with His gathered people. In the time of the Old Testament, it was shown in the temple and the city which held the temple, but today the glory of the Lord is most clearly seen when the people of God gather together to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, for the church itself is Zion. Those who have bowed the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ, they are the heirs of the promises. For the beauty and power and hope of Zion was never to be the physical city itself. It was always the presence of God with them. And therefore, the beauty 
and power and hope of the church is not the outward power that it possesses, but it is God himself. All who are surrounded by the wall of salvation, all who have been born anew and now dwell within the walls of the church, they are partakers of the glory of God. Therefore, we should praise the Lord because we know that He protects His church and will deliver His church from all of her enemies. For God is the very hope of Zion. And yet we need to ask this question. What is the truth of God's protection over His people in a world where we still suffer hardship and brokenness. We know from church history and from the witness of the Word of God itself that the people of God have suffered mightily at the hands of their oppressors. So what does it mean that the Lord will protect those who are in His church? I think that there is one passage in particular that addresses this question well. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 21, verses 16 through 18, Jesus is teaching his disciples about suffering in the kingdom of God. And he says, You will be delivered up, even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not one hair of your head will perish. What does that mean? Jesus says you'll be delivered up by your closest relatives. You'll even be put to death, but not one of your hairs on your head will perish. That doesn't make sense. In the midst of being put to death, hair is ruined. When you are burned, hair goes quickly. When you're beheaded, they don't worry about moving the hair out of the way of the axe. So what does Jesus mean when he says that not one hair of your head will perish? And how do we make sense of our personal experience of suffering in light of the promises of Psalm 48? Well, the protection of the Lord does not mean that you will always have money in your bank account and that you will always have a healthy body or that you will never be imprisoned or beat up or killed for your faith. The protection of the Lord does not mean that you are promised to live a long life, to die in a nice old age in your sleep with lots of money in your portfolio to pass on to your children. For it is through many tribulations that we must enter the kingdom of God. And we will have pain and loss and heartache along the way. But the promise of the gospel, the promise of Psalm 48, is that what really matters will never be lost. Once you are dead, there is nothing more that can be taken away from you. Now, I'm not real keen on dying right now. And I don't want to make light of this subject because it can be fearful and it is very sad. But in the end, we all are going to go through death. And if you are in Christ, there is a treasure that is far greater than anything this world has to offer. Even as Hebrews 12.22 says, But you have come to Mount Zion, and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, 
and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. You see, the protection of the Lord does not mean that nothing painful will happen to you in this life. It means John 10, 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. It means Philippians 1, 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It means Romans 8, 32 and following. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword or might I be so bold as to say or COVID-19? No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the promise of God's protection of Psalm 48. This is the promise of Zion. Not that we will be protected from every evil that might seek to assail us in this life. Rather that those who dwell within Christ's church, they will be ever protected from the sting of death. We will always find deliverance in the presence of our God. It means that every Christian will personally experience what Paul meant when he said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. That is what it means to dwell in the very presence of God, to come to Mount Zion, to enter into the heavenly Jerusalem that though we die, yet we will live forever through Christ. There are many of us who are fearful in this time. We're fearful of sickness and death. We are fearful of economic hardships, yet we need not be afraid. For those who are in Christ, those who dwell within the walls of Zion, You will die, but not a hair on your head will ever perish. For as our psalm concludes, this is God, our God forever and ever. He will guide us forever. Christian, know the promise is for you. It has been sealed with the blood of Christ and it will surely come to pass. Through faith in Christ and by the bond of the Holy Spirit, you dwell securely in Zion, in the heavenly city of God, both now and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us go to the Lord now in prayer. Oh, Father God, we come to you now in this time. Lord, and we feel vulnerable. We feel weak. We are separated and we feel alone. And yet we know that the beauty of the church, that the power of the church, that our faith and our hope is not in our own strength and power, but it is in you, our God, 
And so we look to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith, believing that His blood has sealed for us Your steadfast love, that though we die, yet we shall live forever and ever in the heavenly Zion, secure for all eternity. We pray that You would give us the faith to believe this now as we look forward to its coming. We pray this all in Christ's holy name. Amen.